0: Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, September 6, 2023. Alistair Crook joins us uh, from Italy. Alistair, always a pleasure. Uh, thank you for coming here. Uh, over the holiday weekend here in the U.S., uh, we received word that uh, of an um, uptick in the public alliance between North Korea and Russia, that uh, Kim Jong-un would actually be visiting President Putin in Vladivostok. uh, And it was revealed that uh, Russia uh, has given uh, substantial offensive weaponry, ICBMs, uh, to North Korea, capable of reaching anywhere in the mainland U.S. from uh, North Korea. So a couple of questions. One, could this have happened without either the involvement or the tacit approval of President Xi of China, and two, how significant uh, is this for U.S.
1: national security purposes? Again, I'm not, let's, let's not sort of cast it in threat to the United States per se. Uh, what it is, is part of strategic and negotiating position. Uh, just in this last period, we've had the United States, if you like, rekindling Syria, trying to start a popular, if you like, revolution to throw uh, President Assad out of office. Uh, And it's more complicated. There's um, tensions between Russian airplanes and American airplanes and American drones. And there's a heating up also with the Kurds. And there is also a rising of tension. Someone is stirring up the... Islamic extremists. They've been let out of prison and Islamic extremists who are the opponents of President Assad are being, if you like, encouraged again. So this is a quid pro quo, okay? So essentially the United States would like, as it seems to be losing the offensive in Ukraine, a success and one success could be the removal of Assad. Uh, compensation, if you like, uh, 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 an equilibrating, losing the offensive before, you, a political success before you get
0: to North Korea. Has the United States, and, and if your answer to this is yes, the American public doesn't know it, <clears throat> ramped up its military uh, activity, its level of violence in Syria in order to
1: remove yeah. President Assad of late. Yes, with with aircraft uh, putting in HIMARS. Um, you, there is a, a part of Syria that is occupied by American forces. About one third of Syria is op- occupied did by I, American miss, forces with the Kurds supporting them. That. Did I
0: miss something, or did the United States Congress declare war on Syria?
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> well, that goes back a long way. They've been at it since whatever it is, 2011. But you know, this is like the like the Cuban missile crisis. Okay. Um, First of all, um, America put missiles in Turkey. Russia then put missiles in Cuba. Eventually, Kennedy brought back the missiles from Turkey, and eventually there was a solution. But this is a a simple question of uh, an escalation to try and say to the United States, be careful, if you're going to escalate further in Ukraine, there are ways in which we can respond to that and this is one response because what we've seen in this period is as the offensive has uh, weakened as the offensive has run down what has been happening well someone is giving a green light to ukraine firing more and more drones into moscow into airports and also using um if you like uh, high speed drone submersible drones on the black sea to attack if the bridges or 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 vehicles so it it is a you know a black sea war and also a drone war to compensate ukraine is not winning anywhere at all it made no gains on on the battlefield so it's compensating with these drones someone's given them the green light to do that and so now also we have uh, escalation in syria and so Is it a great surprise that suddenly you get um, new missiles going into North Korea? And I'm sure that this has been coordinated with China um, on strict understandings. This is not about to be a sort of, you know, an attack on, on the United States at all, but it's a very clear message. It's saying, listen, you go on with us, you go on with what you're doing in Japan, you go on with what you're doing with South Korea, and don't be surprised that we raise the stakes, too, on the other side. It's, it's quite a simple, it, it, it should be obvious to Washington that this is not some great, you know, new um, threat from Kim jong against the United States. This is Russia and China saying to the United States, in this war, you escalate, don't be surprised. What's the answer? Well, you want to revisit these problems, and perhaps you start to think about how to find a way to de-escalate and get out of this. And the problem is that I don't think Washington has a clue about, you know, what it would take, you know, to open open a channel of communication is one thing. But what are you going to say on that channel of communication? What are you going to put to to the Russians? And they cannot understand that the reason why it is that Russia says, we will not accept a frozen conflict. We will not accept, if you like, to to negotiate some sort of outcome with you, as we did in March in Istanbul last year, an an outcome that was then subsequently canceled. We won't do that because we see that it is the ultra and the neo-fascist in Kiev who are predominant and influencing policy. It's quite clear that they're in charge of policy. I mean, look at the ridiculous Zelensky peace plan, 10-point peace plan, which is demanding Russian complete capitulation. This is typical of the ultra-nationalists. They will go on to try and destroy Russia at any cost. They are very, very extreme in their hatred Russia and all things Russian. And so uh, it is simple that uh, Putin is not going to accept for the west to remilitarize uh, a Kiev that is predom- predominated this is not the Ukrainian military this is the ultranationalists who predominate who controls mm-hmm. zelensky while that holds going and saying, let's sit down and have a talk about, you know, a ceasefire in Ukraine. It doesn't even, under, doesn't really even address the questions about, you know, what happens in Donbass and uh, 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 <clears throat> and Lunyansk. It's, uh, you know, they haven't started to think about how to manage you, this, I believe.
0: You, you've given us a, a marvelous, almost world tour of how all of this is interconnected, Alistair, and it's a a brilliant and excellent analysis. I'd like to uh, unpack it a little bit. First, does just about everyone now recognize that the uh, Ukrainian offensive, except for the Wall Street Journal, uh, has, uh, has failed?
1: I think that's moot. I mean, I think it is recognized. And I think it's even recognized in the White House. They can't completely shut their eyes to that. The question is, do they accept it? I mean, are they able to assimilate that and deal with it? (laughs) And I'm not sure. That's the big question. Can they deal with it? I don't know. Um, And so maybe they see it as just easier to go on, escalating and you know, allowing the Ukrainians to farm more drones at Moscow because they're not actually killing people in Moscow. It's not working in the sense that the Russians are not being terrified by it or not, or actually just hardening their attitudes as a consequence of it. But I mean, there are limits and one day it may go wrong and then, you know, things will escalate further. So I think it's just, they, they can't manage it. They can't, you know, even if they know it, then just won't deal with it.
0: Here's it. what uh, here's what they said about it yesterday. This is uh, Jake Sullivan uh, in the White House press room, providing weapons to Russia for use on the battlefield to attack grain silos and the heating infrastructure of major cities as we head into winter to try to conquer territory that belongs to another sovereign nation. This is not going to reflect well on North Korea, and they will pay a price for this uh, in the international community. I know that this is an enormous benefit to uh, North Korea, this new uh, public alliance. It it elevates the status of uh, Kim Jong-un. Is he a serious international player or is he an unstable person who's only there because he inherited this power from his father?
1: Well, you know, I don't claim I've ever had to deal with him directly, but Russia has had a long connection, uh, a deep connection with North Korea. Uh, relations with China have been a, a little bit more di- difficult, but don't forget there's a common frontier between North Korea and Russia, they're neighbors. And so uh, there, is, there has been sort of trade and toing and froing between Russia and North Korea for some time. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we underestimate North Korea is a seriously capable small country. But in technology and in their determination to produce these weapons, uh, they're very sophisticated. Uh, so are Russia in a different way. Um, but now r- Russia will be giving them the ability uh, to increase their leverage uh, on Washington. Now, will Ro- Washington respond to that in some way? What will North Korea do? South Korea, I'm not sure, and, I, and Japan. But, I mean, this is very clearly uh, a, an increase in leverage. And I'm sure China, you know, even though it's you know, not that friendly towards uh, North Korea... Uh, understands fully what's going on, that uh, Russia is giving North Korea leverage as the United States increases its, um, its posture in the Pacific. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
0: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu/podcast. Is Russia buying ammunition from North Korea? Is that part okay. of this exchange? And does uh, Russia it, and does Russia need it? I mean, Russia has, as I understand it, Alistair, uh, the most aggressive, successful arms manufacturing. Uh, entities in the world with virtually limitless uh, natural resources with which to manufacture these things. So, is
1: it buying from North Korea, and does it really need anything from North Korea? Uh, look, I can't give you chapter and verse or, on it, but my impression is no, Russia doesn't need it. It's got, it's increased its manufacturing. I mean, what has been clearly going on during these months is Russia has been increasing its munitions, its ability to supply logistics massively. And the next stage has been the increase in manpower of its army. But it does. Russia does things in a sort of orderly way. And the first thing has been a big increase. And I think that I I can't imagine for a moment that ahead of this winter, Russia hasn't been stockpiling, stockpiling in key areas. Um, munitions like artillery shells, I mean, millions of them are being readied for whatever next is planned by, uh, by Putin for the coming, either the month or, or this winter.
0: As we speak, the American Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, uh, is in Kyiv. One of those uh, visits where he just pops up there, there's no announcement in advance that he's coming, and he is announcing uh, another $1 billion in military aid and in uh, cash to the uh, Ukrainian government. We, we don't know, Alastair, how close the White House is to running out of cash. The blank check that the previous Congress gave the president was $113 billion. Some estimates say he spent 48. Some estimates say he spent 68. Some estimates say he spent 100. It's one of these crazy things about American bookkeeping. Nobody really knows what he spent. But Tony Blinken is there supposedly with a, a, a billion-dollar um, gift uh, to the uh, Ukrainians. How is this received in Moscow, a public display by America's chief diplomat, Showing up in wartime in Kiev with a a check for a billion
1: dollars. It's very badly received in Moscow uh, because they just see that inevitably the West, you know, doesn't get the message. And I think this is one of the things that concerns me, having done negotiations, ceasefire negotiations, and trying to end conflicts over the years, is. You know, the worst, the most dangerous thing that you have is that when you persuade one of the parties to make some gesture, even if it's a small gesture, to indicate a willingness to talk or to come to some sort of an understanding about the future, and the other side immediately sees this as weakness and doubles down on it or triples down on it. And I think this is the great thing that Putin is against, He's been very careful. He's waited. He's waited till the offensive has come to a full stop and failed. And then he's waiting to see what's the US and what's the European response to that. And the answer he's got is escalation. More money, more weapons, etc. And of course, he has to answer that in some way. And he will answer it in some way. He's been very careful to do this. But this is always a thing. When you make a gesture by sort of pulling back, you stop. That's what happened in Kiev, really, at the outset of this conflict. I mean, they weren't going to take Kiev with the force that was there that everyone said, oh, Ukraine destroyed. It was 40,000 people. It's about enough to fill the Piazza del Popolo in Rome. I mean, but not to take a city of three and a half million. I mean it was always obviously done as a sort of message saying look i'm serious can we have an agreement and the answer was no and the agreement remains no 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 and as i say i don't think even the uh, white house really has given much thought to to what those talks would inc- would require it's not a, just about ukraine it would be yes the security architecture of Europe, but actually that's become so stale and sort of fixed now, doesn't matter. Mainly yes. The key issue is how does um, how is the West going to find a modus vivendi of its security sphere with that of the emerging security sphere of the um, Eurasian um, bloc the eurasian bloc has a security aspect not just an economic and a political one we have a big security bloc coming up clearly at some point there will have to be a discussion how the west and the eurasian security bloc are going to interact and not interact with one another but i don't think i don't hear anyone actually even discussing it or thinking about it at the moment but that's coming up this is what happened with BRICS and everything. And now we'll have another, we'll have the SCO meeting very shortly. It's a security block too, not just a, a, a block about the dollarization.
0: Here's um, Dmitry Peskov, who's the official spokesperson for the Kremlin. Today, just a few hours ago, I'll, uh, I'll read the English translation. We have heard repeated statements that Americans intend to continue to help Kyiv for as long as it takes. Excuse me. In other words, they are going to continue to support Ukraine in a state of war and to wage this war to the last Ukrainian, sparing no money for this. That's how we perceive it. We know it. It's not going to affect the course of the special military operation. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov, Peskov today, September, September 6, 2023. Surely you're not surprised
1: by this. No, I just wish someone would hear it and, and, and take it in. I mean, it's clear. I would have thought it's clear enough what he's saying. Look, we've got to this point. We've got to the end of this phase. You know, the offensive has stopped. And what are you doing? You're escalating. Well, obviously, now you can expect a Russian offensive of some sort to compensate for that. That's coming. It's obvious. What then will the White House do? Escalate further mm. in response to that? I mean, this is why, you know, this sort of deafness in, uh, in, in the White House, in, in European capitals, is just so dangerous. They just cannot hear. He said it absolutely clearly what is we've got to the end of this point what do you do you send billions of money and you send new weapons so you're escalating so we're forced to escalate we don't right. and, want to we haven't asked for it but you're forcing us and you an do it and you do it uh, ostentatiously as the secretary of state
0: is uh, doing even uh, even as we uh, as we speak uh, i know we have seen this before but it is a brilliant uh, analysis of uh, Russian uh, culture from uh, an Eastern perspective. It's um, Viktor Orban speaking with my friend and former uh, colleague uh, Tucker Carlson just a week ago, but it's profound and I'd, I'd like you to listen to it again.
1: To understand the Russians, it's a difficult thing. So when we speak about politics, I, I mean Westerners, What is the focus point of our conversation? The focus point is freedom. How to provide more and more freedom to the people. When you speak on politics in Russia, this is not the number one issue. The number one issue how to keep together the country. That's generate a different kind of culture and understanding of politics. That's create a a kind of military approach, always on security, safety, buffer zone, geopolitical approaches. But we have to understand that we cannot beat them as we do just now. It's impossible. They will not kill their leader, they will never give it up, they will keep together the country and they will defend it. We finance more, they will invest more. If we send more technical equipment, they will produce more. So don't misunderstand the Russians. So they're not going to get sick of Putin and throw him out? (sighs) Come on, it's a joke.
0: Does the West understand what Prime Minister Orban just so articulately expressed?
1: Absolutely no. They still continue to see Russia as weak, as incapable, as a sort of mercantilist state. Um, that is struggling against the weight of the combined West ranged against it. Um, but actually, the, the, uh, what he was referring to, I think, is something more profound. It's not just about freedom. Russians like freedom too. Um, the West is very individualistic. Russia has a much more holistic sense of community, of Ruski Mir, the whole Russian people as a cultural military communal whole, and also a spiritual whole through orthodoxy. I mean, those elements have been very important. Orthodox is very important. Orthodox religion, very important. And it melds into politics. It's not sort of separated as we have it in the West. Um, If you like, it is there, it is not imposed, but it is part of people's consciousness. Just as their consciousness, they know their history, They know their culture, and they know what the people is. And yes, exactly, it produces a very um, uh, forceful, steadfast people in the face of adversity.
0: Alistair Crook, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Uh, Thank you for accommodating my schedule uh, today, and thanks always for uh, your thoughtful and gifted analysis of the problems uh, that confront us. We'll see you again next week.
1: Thank you very much.
0: There you have it, my friends. Uh, Major Matthew Ho uh, at 11 o'clock this morning, uh, Eastern. Uh, You know what we do here. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom. We are looking out for your liberty.